Welcome to Code Together, an interview series exploring the possibilities of cross-architecture development with those at the forefront. I'm your host, Nicole Huseman. We are living through tumultuous times, pivotal times, and like our world at large, research and industry face big challenges. Today, we'll talk about collaborative, open approaches as key strategies to solving some of these challenges. I'm joined by Jeff Hammond, Principal Engineer at Intel. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Nicole. And Ronan Cariel, Principal Software Engineer at Xilinx. Great to have you with us, Ronan. Hi, Nicole and Jeff. Ronan, why are open standards so important? When you use a lot of computers, you have huge problems to solve. You will have a lot of researchers or PhD students and so on to try to apply their equations into some code and to run huge models such as for global warming or epidemiology. And at the end, you want to use these uh, huge machines in the most efficient way. So if you are able to use open standards and open language, for example, or open tools, then you will not waste your time reinventing the same wheels again and again. And if you can work with bigger communities, you will be able to solve bigger problems in a more efficient way. So I think that's a way not, not to derail a lot of resources and to focus on solving problems. And Jeff, you've worked and spent a lot of time in open standards over the years. Is there anything you'd like to add? Well, there's a couple things. One of the most obvious places where standards made an impact on the scientific work that I was doing is in the MPI forum, which is a standard layer for supercomputing communication between nodes. Before we had a standard, people would write the code for every machine. And when the machine got turned on, then they would get on it and they would start to implement the thing that made it work. And in some cases, in the case I'm thinking of, it took a year before they actually got it working. And so that was one year out of the life of a six-year supercomputer that was wasted because it had to be ported to the proprietary or whatever low-level layer. And when we got stuff into the standard that made that application run without machine-specific code, we were running on day one. That's a year of productivity just by being able to get stuff working. And it doesn't mean that you have to stop there. And this is, I think, a key misconception of standards. Standards don't mean that you're stuck with a code right once, run everywhere with the same code. It just means that your code actually works the first day you use a machine. And it's up to you if you want to specialize. Let's shift a bit and talk about open source. Ronan, why is it important for companies to participate in and contribute to open source projects and communities? Open source software, I think it's good because it's an easy and efficient way to collaborate in an inclusive way across the various communities. And it is even easier nowadays since we have social coding infrastructure such as GitLab, GitHub, and, uh, and so on. This open source community allows us to solve huge problems and to collaborate between different companies. Open source practices are well adopted by software companies, but the story is more complex for hardware vendors, probably because there is a difficult intellectual property story that they have to protect there. They use open source, but they keep it to make their products, and then they do not contribute back to the community. 
on the long term, they ended up to be uh, separated from the original community. So they have some old software internally. They cannot benefit from the modern evolution of the main open source software they have used at the first place. If you compare to a more collaborative open source solution where, okay, you improve it for your product, then you contribute back. And then some people will take your improvement and will also improve it. And then you can benefit back. So that's a win-win situation that is I would say today a little bit difficult to understand for hardware companies, but well, we are making progress. It's been amazing, hasn't it? The open source landscape is really changing so much. And it's amazing what folks may not realize who aren't as immersed in it, right? There are so many companies who on one level are really competitors, but in open source, they're collaborating side by side. Jeff, what do you think are some of the misperceptions or things that are misunderstood in open source? One of the things that's misunderstood is just how diverse the landscape of open source culture and licensing is. Ronan alluded to a number of those different options. One type of open source is like the right to change your oil in your car without going to the dealership. It's just being able to look under the hood and say, what do I got? And I want to change it. So I've got the code. And if I decide that the code as provided doesn't do what I want, I can fix it. The other part about it is the sort of feedback loop that comes when people collaborate together. I actually talk to Ronan much more often on GitHub than any other medium because he follows my project. I follow his project. We talk to each other there. I ask for things. He provides feedback. And it's a way of interacting with people and working together that is just fantastic. And if there's reasons that people can't share things, well, fine, they don't have to do that feedback loop, but it certainly helps if they do. And I'll say, you know, from the Intel perspective, a lot of the things we're doing with One API and DPC++ are driven by the open source. And the first thing we ever did with DPC++ was announced to the LLVM community that we were planning on supporting Sickle and we were putting it on GitHub. That was the place we started. We didn't start with a product launch. That was actually months later. And we continue to have a wonderful collaborative relationship with Codeplay and with Ronan and a whole bunch of other folks who, you know, we have customers who get to provide feedback and discuss with us on GitHub. We have other developers, you know, people who would nominally be considered competitors are still interacting with us because there's value in talking about problems, even if people choose to solve them in different ways in different forms. This is actually a great segue into talking more specifically about the ISO C++ and Kronos Group SICL standards. So Ronan, tell us how the C++ standard is evolving to address today's challenges. Yeah, so C++ and C are very successful languages. I discovered recently ISO C++ committee and I found a huge momentum there and a huge open source community to make it better every day with the very smart people. So it's amazing what's happening there. More than 200 people collaborating to make this C++ language better. And I think that's unique in the world. There is no other language designed by committee. And compared to all C++, it allows you to express and to solve some complex problems in a simpler way. It's also interesting to see a global convergence between languages. For example, if there are some great ideas in some language, then the other language will incorporate these features. Today, in C++, you have this multi-parading language where you have object-oriented, generic programming, functional programming. And at the same time, it's still 
close to the metal from an efficiency perspective, which means that even if you have this high level concept, you will not throw away the, the efficiency, which is the main goal to use a language such as C or C++. The idea with SQL is that we've looked at this modern C++ as a first starting point because it didn't make any sense to start from an old standard. And we realized that all these new modern features and at the same time, this bare metal efficiency was a great starting point for heterogeneous programming. So that's why we have started this SQL initiative around 2011. And we've built on top of this. And I think at the end, it's a good trade-off. Jeff, can you talk a little bit about Intel's choice using SQL as the basis for DPC++? The challenge when Intel decided to go big with GPUs, especially, was there's obviously some things out there that people use for programming GPUs. Everybody knows about CUDA, obviously, and CUDA's proprietary, and that has some obvious challenges. And we didn't want to do proprietary. That was one of the key things that we concluded early on. We didn't want to have the Intel GPU language or whatever it was. And everybody recognized that OpenCL was a thing that existed and had some limited success. OpenCL is not extremely widely used in HPC for a variety of reasons. We looked at OpenCL and we said, okay, there's some things about this that are right and some things about this that are not right. And one of the big things that we recognized was that modern C++ was really becoming the foundation of new code that was written in HPC and AI and a lot of other domains. C++ is rapidly becoming one of the most popular languages as far as a HPC, people who want to program high performance workloads in whatever domain, C++ was really coming on strong. I did a survey. I looked at a lot of what our customers were doing, the Department of Energy and other places, and I saw a really strong trend toward modern C++, so C++11 with lambdas and trending towards the parallel STL that we know in C++17. But when we look at that, we see that there's some key pieces missing. And Sickle addresses those pieces very directly. Sickle is a heterogeneous, aware programming model. It's capable of understanding that there are multiple types of processors and multiple types of memory in a system in a way that today standard C++ really doesn't do. And we also did a detailed study to say, is Sickle sufficient in its current form? And we concluded that, no, it wasn't. It was very good, and it was the place we wanted to start. But Sickle, as it existed in 2018 or whenever we did this survey, was missing some key things. And some of those features we identified very early on were reductions, better expression of atomics, unified shared memory, or pointers. And as I think everybody will see in the provisional spec and obviously all the work that's gone on in collaboration with CodePlay and Xilinx and other places, we were able to build those features into Sickle. So, you know, people like to criticize standards. Well, standards don't have to stay the, where they are. They move just like everything else. And maybe they move a little bit slower than proprietary things because you can't have a, you know, by fiat model of what defines the language. But I believe we got a lot of value out of working with the Kronos community together to come up with a language design that multiple people thought was a good idea for a lot of different hardware. And Ronan, can you talk a little bit about why you find Sickle beneficial such that you built out TriSickle as a Sickle implementation? 
Yeah, I started the HPC world with my master and PhD in the 80s, and I've seen a lot of dead languages along uh, the road. A few years ago, I've seen some presentation about modern C++ and see, oh, wow, we can do a lot of stuff with this C++, actually. And I was not aware of that. But with some people introducing me to this fancy stuff, I've seen the, the potential. And when I was working before at AMD, I discovered also Kronos in my team, and I was introduced to this SQL stuff, and I realized, oh, wow, it's actually better than some other tools we are working inside the company, so perhaps we could collaborate on this. So that's how I started this tricycle implementation around 2014 first to help the SQL committee. You have to understand, we thought there was a real potential to really improve the way to program computers nowadays in a very explicit way so that you can really control everything to be very efficient. And at the same time, since you rely on a modern language with SQL, perhaps we found a way to revolutionize the area of extreme computing and extreme embedded systems. You know, we're headed towards a really exciting milestone for the Sickle community with Sickle 2020 provisional release. Jeff, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. The one big feature that everybody's excited about and I am really excited about is the USM Unified Shared Memory. When Sickle was designed, they took a conservative approach in the language that allowed them to capture a lot of different hardware devices. There's some weird hardware out there that doesn't really like the concept of pointers. Pointers are kind of a foot gun and some programmers do bad things with them and they actually require the hardware to do some smart things with address translation and the like. So the original Sickle has something called buffers and accessors. And this is a very elegant, opaque design. I think it's brilliant, works really well, but because it's conservative from a language standpoint, it means that the programmers who can use it, fine, they get great results, it works, but it can be difficult for people to map existing code onto that abstraction. And existing code means CPU code, means GPU code written in other languages, whatnot. And the USM feature set really expanded the flexibility of memory management in Sickle. Basically, it addressed a lot of key needs from our customers and internal purposes. And we've seen a lot of codes able to move to Sickle really, really easily by virtue of having that. It also allowed us to build some even better integration with modern C++. You can actually take a USM allocator, which is part of the design, and attach it into the object STL containers. And then you can use C++ just by the book in terms of ISO and have it use the USM memory allocator behind the scenes. Ronan, you want to chime in here? I'd love to hear your thoughts about the Sickle 2020 release as well. Yeah, I think there are a lot of new new things. And recently, we've got a lot of new people, new user groups participating to the the standards so that Intel and other companies that put a lot of effort into improving this standard. And what I find very exciting is that something we figured out when we were doing a SQL 1.2.1, which is a previous version, is that, okay, well, there is some great potential. And at that time, we were just targeting OpenCL device. And then we realized, oh, SQL is quite bigger than only focusing on one underlying API. So we have to be bold and proud and go further. And I think that's 
one very interesting aspect is this context of generic backend. So now with SQL 2020, you, you can actually uh, address a lot of different architectures. Now with SQL 2020, we can really be very, very heterogeneous. This has been really interesting. Is there anything that we haven't covered? The last thing I would want people to know about Sickle, if they haven't taken a look yet, is the diversity of the ecosystem already. Ronan has his implementation, and I actually use his implementation on my laptop a lot of the time. And there's the Intel implementation, which of course comes in the product form, which you know you can get the binaries from one API downloads, or you can grab it from GitHub and build it yourself. And you know the Intel DPC++ open source compiler has support for both the Intel products and anything that supports the you know Spear V OpenCL, but it also has the NVIDIA PTX backend that's done by CodePlay. And then CodePlay, of course, has their own product, which is Compute CPP, which supports NVIDIA. And then, of course, their Compute CPP supports the OpenCL Spear V landscape as well. And then there's also HipSickle, which is based on the HIP tool chain, which you know folks might know is AMD's HPC software stack for GPUs. And the HIP stack supports AMD, Radeon, and their GPUs, and then NVIDIA GPUs. And then HipSickle also supports OpenMP for CPUs. And what's really neat about that is you have four different compilers that are all pretty high quality. I mean, none of them are perfect, but I've used them all, and they're all pretty good. And they support a tremendous diversity of hardware. So that, you know, Intel stack supports Intel FPGAs, Intel GPUs, Intel CPUs. All the CPUs are in there. Rona could talk about, you know, FPGA support in Tricycle if he wants, but there's a whole lot of hardware there. And it means that you have choices as a user. You can try multiple compilers. And that's a really great way to debug code and identify whether you're dealing with undefined behavior or a bug, or maybe it's just an implementation bug and it's not your fault. It's something you can only see when you have multiple compilers that implement the same language standard. And you only see that, of course, with standards. Proprietary languages tend not to have multiple implementations because they're usually developed by one company. Why would one company do it twice? So I just would encourage everybody to go look and see how neat of an ecosystem there is and how much there is to use today across a tremendous variety of hardware platforms. But yeah, actually there is another aspect we've not talked about. The fact that it, since it's single source, pure C++, this, a single program can run on a CPU so as Jeff said on his laptop, which is amazing, for, for example, that's what we do with Tricycle, is that we can run some code that would run on some weird hardware, such as an FPGA or a CGRA, but you run it on your own CPU, on your laptop, in a kind of emulation mode, and then you can debug the same application, but in a quite easier way on your laptop without the real hardware, which means that you can even use SQL to debug future architectures that does not exist yet. So you can really invent some new SQL constructs and try them before deploying in some non-existing hardware yet. That's amazingly powerful. That is amazing. Ronan, thanks so much for your insights. It's been such a great discussion. Thank you. And Jeff, it's always such a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. For all of you listening, thanks so much for tuning in. Let's continue the conversation at 1API.com. Until next time. Thank you.